Good evening and thanks for joining us. Help arrived today for a massive barge carrying millions of liters of diesel and gasoline stranded near Bella Bella. It was heading from Seattle to Alaska when it broke free from its tugboat over the weekend, renewing concerns of a fuel spill on the West Coast. Ted Chernecki has more on the close call. The Zedell Marine 277 launched with much fanfare in Portland only five months ago. Yesterday, mid-afternoon, while en route to Alaska, the tug was pushing 3.5 million liters of diesel fuel along with 468,000 liters of gasoline when it hit stormy seas about 45 kilometers southwest of Bella Bella. The tug became separated and the barge was adrift, perilously close to rocks. This is a, a kilometer off of, uh, off of these rocks. Um, uh, a place that uh, is likely going to tear a big boat apart. These photos taken late Monday afternoon show the barge being towed to safe harbor in what is clearly foul weather, typical this time of the year. In fact, there's a wind warning for tonight all along the central coast. And locals feel a fuel-laden barge that can become unhitched that easily shouldn't be here. It's not a good time for uh, anybody to be moving a vessel like this through the waters, especially if uh, this has already happened where... Uh, the tug's pins uh, totally disconnected from the barbs. There has been no loss of uh, product, no spill into the water from either the original tug or the barge. And that's, uh, that's good news for everybody, particularly the Heiltsuk Nation. There it is in big white letters, double hulled. So the question is, had the 277 hit those rocks, would a spill have occurred? You have a high-speed collision or a high-speed elision on rocks, as was likely to be the case with this barge, uh, you can still pierce both the hulls of the, the tanker. In fact, more easily because they're made of thinner steel now that they're double-hulled. There have been more than 30 double-hulled spills since the technology was first deployed in the 1970s. A year ago, 110,000 liters of fuel spilled near Bella Bella when the Nathan Stewart tug ran aground. The Helsing Nation, who know these waters better than anyone, have long advocated for a bigger role in marine safety. Ted Chernaki, Global News. Well, both marine creatures and coastal communities depend on this region. Later on the news hour, what makes it so diverse and so pristine? The pilot and passenger of a small plane missing in the B.C. interior have been identified. The search resumed this morning for Dominic Neuron and his girlfriend Ashley Borgo. The pair took off from Penticton bound for Edmonton at about 2.30 Saturday afternoon. Later that night, the couple was reported overdue. Neuron's cell phone was pinged and cell tower information indicated they might be located northeast of Revelstoke. We've now isolated the search to a small area um, north of, of Revelstoke. Today the weather has improved. Um, we're still not able to cover the, the full area to get to the peaks of the mountains and the area within of our primary concern but um, where it's much more uh, accommodating for our, for our aircraft. Search crews say Naran did not have or share a flight plan. Records show he has had his pilot's license for two years and purchased the 1963 aircraft in September. A proposed condo building in Vancouver's West End is becoming a hot topic. At issue, the division it appears to be creating between the social housing component of the building and everyone else. Grace Key joins us now with the details. And Grace, if this does go ahead as is, not only will there be separate entrances for people, but separate playgrounds. 
Yeah, the proposed development right behind me here, just on the corner of Burnaby and Thurlow. So certainly some critics are saying this separation of entrances as playground is a further divide between the rich and poor, while others are saying that it just makes practical sense on a management standpoint. The proposed development in Vancouver's West End is raising some concerns when it comes to the divide between the rich and the poor. The 30-story building on the corner of Burnaby and Thurlow would have 82 market residential units and 39 social housing units. It would also have two separate entrances and playgrounds, one for condo owners, the other for social housing. The city says from a legal and management perspective, it makes sense. Vancouver architect and developer Michael Geller agrees. One portion of the building will be condominiums owned, managed. In some instances, the strata fees may even be higher than the rents in the other side of the building that will be managed likely by a non-profit or perhaps even BC Housing. These developments are not new to Vancouver. The Woodward's building has one market and two social housing components, each with its own entrances and amenities. The city says Woodward's residents prefer to have the separate spaces. Still, the idea doesn't sit well with everyone. I mean, this would be a good area, I would say, but I, I wouldn't want the separate entrances. Personally, I'm not super sensitive to different entries. Um, but, yeah, answering your question, I think, yeah, it would be a good idea. I don't know, dividing people like that, it's not ideal. Condo owners enter here, while affordable housing renters enter here. The term poor doors has been used to describe this type of separation. Geller says there have been problems in New York, but not in Vancouver. And the lower-income housing, which perhaps was for low-income blacks, had an entrance off the back lane. That's not what we've been doing in Vancouver. And further to that point, this isn't the first, and it won't be the last type of development like this in the city either, will it, Grace? Yeah, certainly through the West End uh, plan, the city of Vancouver does uh, plan to have about 1,600 units of social housing. And again, that would be uh, owned by the city and managed by a nonprofit group. Chris? All right. Thanks, Grace. Well, just minutes ago, Highway 1 fully reopened in the eastern Fraser Valley. Early Thursday morning, multiple mudslides cut off travel along the route between Chilliwack and Hope near Bridal Falls. Heavy equipment was brought in to clear away the estimated 17,000 cubic meters of sludge. And Drive BC now says all lanes are open, both east and westbound. And a little farther along, be prepared for winter driving conditions on the Coquihalla. Up to 15 centimeters of snow fell last night at the summit between Hope and Merritt. Drivers are being warned to be prepared for the conditions, including chaining up when required. If the lights are on, it's mandatory. Yeah. Everyone, all you're going to do is create another issue on the hill if you don't put your chains on. So you might as well put them on to be safe. A task force examining gun violence in this province has tabled 37 recommendations to crack down on illegal guns in B.C. Jeff Hastings zeroes in on some of the strategies suggested and which four the government says it will immediately start to work on. People deserve to feel safe in their communities. It's a press conference more than a year in the making. The NDP public safety minister completing a project kicked off by his predecessor. The B.C. Task Force on Illegal Firearms has come back with 37 recommendations. This is a widespread problem, not isolated to just British Columbia and not isolated to just a few communities. 
Many feel gun violence has reached epidemic proportions, and much of the blame is placed before gangs, something the latest statistics seem to support. The number of gang-related homicides has increased in the past two years. Firearm-related homicides have increased in the past three years, and more than half of those homicides were related to gang activity. Gang-targeting police agencies are getting a boost. The CFSEU's responsibilities are expanding. The legal ability to drive for anyone with an illegal firearm is in jeopardy. There will be increased emphasis on improved interagency communication. There's a new task force, and anti-gang education is expanding. That list goes on, but... Those who care not a fig for regulation, um, care not a fig for police, or anybody else who's trying to... Uh, enforce the law um, are not deterred by any of this. In 2015, there were more than 2,000 incidents involving firearms in B.C., more than 3,000 firearms seized. There's disagreement about where those guns are coming from, especially how many are crossing an occasionally porous Canada-U.S. border. We're living next to one of the world's largest arsenals of privately owned weapons. Over the past three years in BC, approximately 60% of illegal firearms were sourced here in Canada. Domestically sourced illegal firearms are now a significant factor in that illegal firearms trade. The minister does acknowledge the U.S. as a source of guns. He's also acknowledging more than $300 million in federal anti-gang funding, hoping much of it will be aimed at BC crime. Jeff Hastings, Global News. The provincial government has closed the door on an adventure climbing business on the Lionsgate Bridge. The Stairway to Heaven was the brainchild of Kevin Thompson and his company Legend Worthy Quest. The idea was to create the first bridge climb in North America on the historic Lionsgate Bridge. But today the NDP announced that it has cancelled talks with the company, saying we have decided not to commercialize our public infrastructure. A controversial housing plan gets approval from the city of Vancouver today. 78 new temporary modular homes for the homeless will be built in the Marpole neighborhood. Some residents had raised concerns about the proximity to two schools in the area, but a group of students from one of those schools countered their fears, promoting an inclusive neighborhood. It's anticipated that the first building will open in early February 2018. Homelessness, an issue many cities are grappling with, in Maple Ridge, city officials have agreed to allow campers at a tent city to stay as long as steps are taken to address safety. Meantime, in Surrey, concerns are being raised about another camp that's getting bigger by the day. Tanya Beja has more on the growing problem and what everyone can agree on is the solution. For five months, this has been Johnny's Maple Ridge shelter, a tent with a tarp. You get a little bit of rain, everything's soaked for days. Get up in the morning, go out and look for a job. It's kind of hard to do and can't have a shower. Until today, Johnny and 80 others at this homeless camp were fighting the elements and a looming eviction. We save lives. Their lawyers and the city of Maple Ridge reached an agreement in court. The campers can stay if they abide by fire safety rules. We look forward to working with the city and the province to make camp safe but more importantly, to actually solving the underlying issue here, which is profound lack of housing. The province is looking to build modular housing for those staying at Anita Place. The city wants Maple Ridge residents to be consulted before a new location is chosen. The idea is to find a site that's appropriate, that works for the city, that works for the community, that works for the people who are right now in the camp. 
Surrey is also considering modular housing to ease the crisis on 135A, where tents are lined up for blocks. 80 people used to call the sidewalk home. That's now up to 130. This is just right down the street from Surrey Central, like a block. Frustrated Surrey resident Joe McNeely posted a video of the scene that's now garnered 200,000 views. All of us should be doing our part. I mean, we live in one of the richest cities in the world. There's there's millionaires everywhere. People just turn a blind eye to it. We just need to focus on the real problems, which is addiction and mental illness. Surrey's manager of public safety operations says local shelters are all full, so the city is doing what it can. We provide a lot of garbage bins, needle bins, and you know, we're working with the residents to keep the area clean and safe. They're also working with the province to set up more housing, something many on the Strip say can't come soon enough. It's depressing. I've got no drive to actually go out and look at places anymore because... I'm so sick of being turned down at the door. Tanya Beja, Global News. A new wrinkle to Cyber Monday for 2017. While the usual suspects are offering online deals, airlines are now getting into the game in a big way. They sure are. Our Consumer Matters reporter Andrea has the rundown on some amazing deals. They are amazing. I might have to gift myself after the show. <laughs> Great idea. <laughs> Thanks, you too. Travel perhaps isn't the typical deal that comes to mind on Cyber Monday, but airlines, tour and hotel companies know people are looking to save. Whether it's a dream vacation for your travel bucket list, or a quick flight, there are some deep discounts today. Now, here are a few. Air Canada Cyber Monday sale, 15% off select flights. The discounts apply to Tango, Flex, and premium economy-based fares. WestJet offering discounts to destinations in Canada, the U.S., Mexico, the Caribbean, and Europe, including New York flights from $99 Canadian. Royal Caribbean cruise deals include 50% off a second guess and up to $400 in onboard credit. The deals, though, are all over the map. Some offer value added, others a flat percentage off. A Vancouver blogger who tracks insane airfare on the Twitter handle YVRDeals found what he says is a new record for the cheapest flight from Vancouver to the Cook Islands. At one point today, Vancouver to Rarotonga in the Cook Islands was $618 Canadian for a round trip. That includes taxes. The price drop, part of Air New Zealand's Cyber Monday sale. This is one of the busiest Cyber Monday for travel I have ever seen. What consumers need to know when they're booking these Cyber Monday deals is that they need to read the terms and conditions. A lot of them need to be booked by a certain time, most by midnight tonight. Uh, you need to make sure that you read the terms and conditions and get exactly what you're looking for because there will be blackout dates. There will be date restrictions. So make sure you read all of the fine print to, before you ever enter your credit card number. So true. Some good advice there. And it's important to note Cyber Monday deals are for new bookings only. And travel is only valid through a certain period, often a five-month window. As you heard, most deals must be booked by midnight tonight. So book early as the discounts disappear quickly. There are only so many seats on a plane. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Great. Thanks very much, Ann. Well, we often hear about less fortunate children over the holiday season and the many campaigns designed to give them a more merry Christmas. But a new program aims to help an often forgotten part of our society, seniors who live alone with no family support. Erin MacArthur has the details. On this card is for Ida, but she's got a beautiful big smile and she's looking for a blanket and socks this year. Next time you're in London Drugs, look for the Christmas tree at the front. 
read one of the cards. Oh, this card is for Anna. And with hardly any trouble at all, you can make this holiday special for someone who could really use it. Folks can contribute by buying a gift that, to a senior who, for a senior who may not uh, otherwise have family or friends to support them during the holiday season. Warm blankets. Um, Every London Drugs in BC has jumped on board a program called Stocking Stuffers for Seniors. It was launched in Edmonton, where the response from the community has been overwhelming. At the care homes, the reaction to the gifts is priceless. Oh, wow. Look at that. I don't really have that much family. Not really going anywhere for Christmas, so this is my Christmas. It's, there's no big screen TVs on any of those lists. It's all basic necessities. I hope it is. It is. All right. Boy, I've wanted these, one of these for a long time. The holidays can be tough for seniors. Social isolation, a big problem for a rapidly aging population. The BC Care Providers Association says one of the easiest ways to improve the lives of seniors is the gift of time. Some of these other initiatives that are being brought on by London Drugs and other companies are really great, but ultimately a little bit of our time doesn't cost us very much. There are a lot of charity asks at Christmas time. A quick read of one of these cards, and it's hard to imagine anyone ignoring such simple requests. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Rising water near Port Alberni on Vancouver Island forces five families out of their homes, and it has residents of a First Nation there wondering why they seem to be facing the same thing every year. Heavy rains have pushed the Somas River over its banks and into the, into the Seashat First Nation, which has been sandbagging furiously, hoping to limit the damage. It's the fourth year in a row of flooding, and as Nitu Garcha reports, the weather forecast isn't providing much good news. And the creek comes in from behind me and circles the whole house. In a fourth straight year of flooding, another disastrous deluge has hit this Vancouver Island community. It's nerve-wracking. Over the weekend, homes on the Tashat First Nation near Port Alberni were evacuated. After more heavy rainfall, BC's River Forecast Centre issued a flood warning for the Somas River, and a state of emergency has been declared. We evacuate people who are medically fragile, who are elderly, or who have very small babies. We evacuated five homes, approximately 17 people went out. Crews and volunteers spent the weekend sandbagging, trying to protect those properties. We're sitting in water, all, the whole thing is all water. Warmer temperatures over the last few days causing melting and helping the river to overflow its banks, a trend this community is becoming all too familiar with. This house had thousands in damage after last year's flood. Now we got everything out of the crawl space and stuff like that. We've done, we've done that beforehand. It's, it's, it's unbelievable when it comes out. And after being evacuated again, residents of the property were relieved at what they saw Monday morning. But along nearby Sprout Lake, almost two dozen homes have water inside. The forecast is calling for relentless rain, another 30 to 40 millimeters expected, with only a short reprieve on Tuesday. The uh, watershed has no capacity to hold any more rain. The dams are all full. So if we get much more than 50 or 60 millimeters, we're into trouble again. This as some are already scrambling to stay afloat. And trying to rescue our kayaks and other things that were floating away and our picnic tables that were suddenly half underwater. So far, the community feels it's dodged a bullet. Evacuees have been allowed back home, but they're still on alert, fully aware that this could just be a little bit of calm before another big storm. Need to Garcha, Global News.
And back now to our top story in that huge barge that was stranded near Bella Bella carrying millions of liters of fuel. As we told you earlier, it appears the barge is now safely under tow. But as Linda Aylesworth reports, a renowned wildlife photographer warns the accident could have ended with a monumental disaster. BC's central coast is wild and powerful, but it's also vulnerable, which is why word that a fuel barge had broken free in the stormy waters of Queen Charlotte Sound sent a shiver down the spine of conservationist and longtime coastal resident Ian McAllister. We just escaped uh, what was probably uh, headed for one of the worst environmental disasters this coast has ever seen. That's because the big seas that make these waters treacherous for marine vessels also make them irresistible for marine life. It's the high currents, uh, these deep water upwellings, strong um, surface currents that also give so much life. As a result, one of the few breeding rookeries on the B.C. coast for stellar sea lions is here. This is a critically important year-round habitat for them. And this barge was literally in spitting distance. It was about a quarter kilometre from uh, where all these sea lions were hauled out. It's also home to the largest sea otter population north of Vancouver Island. Humpback whales come here to feed and to raise their calves. And then there are the one-of-a-kind coastal wolves that survive on salmon and whatever else the ocean surrenders. There's these genetically distinct uh, coastal wolves that walk the beaches. They would have been some of the first to be impacted by a spill if it had occurred last night. The solution, according to any number of conservationists, reroute the danger. It would be very simple to go from Seattle up to Alaska, where these barges are headed offshore. And and then we wouldn't be putting the inside passage and uh, the people of this coast at, at such risk. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A train derailment in central Florida forced the local sheriff's office to issue a shelter-in-place order for people who live nearby. The train was carrying molten sulfur, which can give off toxic fumes. And at first, residents were told to close their windows, turn off their air conditioners, and stay inside. Now the danger is past, and they are allowed to come and go. In Indonesia tonight, more than 400 Canadians are among the 100,000 people who have been ordered to evacuate the area around an erupting volcano. And flying out is out of the question now that the government has shut down the airport for a second straight day. Tonight, as towers of choking smoke and thick ash billow into Bali's air, the race is on to evacuate 100,000 people. Now fearing a massive eruption from Mount Agung, Indonesia is issuing its highest warning as the volcano threatens to blow. There's so much you can do. It's a natural disaster. Tonight, Bali's airport is shut down as ash shoots two miles into the air and hot gases rise from the mouth of the pulsating volcano. 59,000 air travelers grounded. And now, steady rain is creating volcanic mud flows turning lush green island slopes into a canvas of dangerous gray debris. American Derek Duchesne's birthday getaway has turned into a nightmare. People come here for honeymoons, weddings, you know, parties, just relaxing, and it's just, so it was a really happy moment to go to a really stressful place. The last time Mount Agung erupted in 1963, at least 1,100 were killed. Tonight, this tropical island paradise is again bracing for nature's fury. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. 
Well, for the first time since he was accused of sexually inappropriate behavior, complete with a shocking picture, Democratic Senator Al Franken spoke publicly today about the controversy. I know there are no magic words that I can say uh, to regain your trust, and I know that's going to take time. Franken says he is embarrassed, ashamed, and shocked by the allegations, but says he won't resign. He also says he cannot say for sure whether or not more allegations will surface. In health matters tonight, a new study says men with slow-growing prostate cancer may not need a biopsy every year. American researchers followed more than 2,500 men who chose the watch-and-wait approach for treating low-risk prostate cancer. Some had annual biopsies, while others had one every other year. Researchers found the risk of the cancer becoming worse was no different for men who had the less frequent biopsies. Yvonne Schell, and for Christy tonight, nice to see some beautiful sunshine for a big part of the day today, Yvonne. Yeah, a nice break in the action today. We saw a lull, but the rain has started to push in already, especially towards the west end, and we're seeing it along the island, and it will continue heavy at times overnight, and this is going to be in towards our morning commute. We've got very windy conditions, and I'll have more on the warnings in just a moment. Here's our tower cam shot with rain reported out of the airport. Temperatures currently sitting at 8. A southeasterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. High today was at 9. We're close to the average for this time of the year. That sits at 7 degrees. And we managed to see temperatures above the average for many areas into the interior today with Revelstoke at 6, Kelowna at 9 today, and coastal sections for Prince Rupert climbing up to 5 with Victoria at double digits and a high of 10 degrees. Here's the next weather maker that we're tracking on the satellite and radar. And a significant amount of moisture is going to be targeting the south coast. And paired with the winds, the following areas in purple along the central coast eastern sections of the island and the Sunshine Coast could see gusts overnight and leading in towards our Tuesday between 70 and up to 100 kilometers per hour. If you're into the West Kootenays, we got an additional 15 and 20 centimeters. Castlegar, Nelson and Trail all included within that and that snow is going to start to develop as early as the afternoon and then taper off Tuesday overnight. The mountain passes, especially along the Coquihalla from Hope to Merritt and if you're traveling along the, uh, to the, towards the Paulson Summit, also 15 and up to 20 centimeters and inland sections for the northern half of the province seeing an additional 15 and up to 25 centimeters. On the future cast, we can see that moisture pushing in. So the south coast will see it heavy at times and very blustery for the morning hours. And then it tapers off towards the afternoon. A bit of a break in between systems, but then unsettled once again late in the day on our Wednesday. Rain and heavy at times across the coast. It's inland with that 15 and up to 20 centimeters. Similar for areas near Fort Nelson tomorrow with the chilly one at minus 18. Breaks, though, for the central interior with Prince George up to 3 degrees, and it's the West Kootenays in the Columbia Kootenay region that we're seeing that rain mixed with snow for a few spots, and it's higher elevations along the mountain passes that will see a significant amount of snowfall developing tomorrow afternoon. Whistler, some mixed precipitation overnight, but also seeing snow, 15 and up to 20 centimeters for most areas and tapering off, and we've got a wet and very windy start to our Tuesday before things start to ease off. Temperatures tomorrow will be at 9, and an additional 20 and up to 30 millimeters. Birthday announcements this evening going out to Flora Gardner from Seashelt, celebrating 100 yesterday, so happy belated birthday to you. A very happy birthday to Isla Westrom, celebrating 100, and Marjorie McGee, celebrating 103 from Vernon, and a very happy anniversary this evening to Claire and Jim Pincott from Princeton, celebrating 70 years. Lots of announcements this evening, and our weather window was taken by Sandy Walker, a great shot of a herd of caribou, and this is along the Barkerville Highway. Guys, spectacular.
Traffic jam in Barkerville. <laughs> That's right. Watch <laughs> out. Coming around the corner. <laughs> Thanks, Yvonne. A helmet cam video of a motorbike chase in Calgary that happened more than two years ago is just getting attention online now. The almost three minute long video was posted this past weekend, although it actually happened back in July of 2015. It's not clear why the video is just surfacing now. It shows the motorbike speeding through the Calgary community of Mackenzie Town, even after police officers pull their guns to try to get him to stop. At one point, the guy hits about 130 kilometers an hour in a playground zone. The rider finally loses control of the bike and makes a run for it, but is caught by police and taken down with pepper spray and a taser. A court documents show that a Calgary resident, coincidentally named Chase Cromwell, pleaded guilty to charges including dangerous driving and drugs and weapons possession. He was sentenced to five years. Well, the story everybody's talking about began with a blind date, and it will culminate with a royal wedding next spring that will be watched by millions. Prince Harry and actress Meghan Markle confirming the rumors today and announcing their engagement with a public appearance and a surprisingly candid interview. The fact that I fell in love with Meghan so incredibly quickly was a, was a sort of confirmation to me that Everything, everything, all the stars were aligned, everything was just perfect. It was this beautiful woman just sort of literally tripped and fell into my life. I <laughs> fell into her life. And in falling into each other's lives, a once rebellious prince and an American divorcee and TV star are changing the face of the British monarchy together. Harry, when did you know she was the one? That was on a blind date set up by a mutual friend. Harry popped the question a few weeks ago at his home in Kensington Palace. Trying to roast a chicken, and it was just, a, uh, just an amazing surprise. It was so sweet and, and natural and very romantic. He got on one knee. <laughs> the proposal over bended knee may have been traditional, but the intense scrutiny of their courtship prompted Prince Harry to denounce what he called racial overtones of press coverage. Megan, who describes herself as biracial, raised in California by her lighting director father and social worker, yoga instructor mother, says it's something she's had to deal with most of her life. Of course, it's disheartening. You know, it's it's um, it's a shame that that is the climate in this world to focus that much on that. You know, at the end of the day, I'm really just proud of who I am and where I come from. And she'll be reminded of the legacy she'll inherit every time she looks at that ring. The main diamond from Botswana is flanked by two others that once belonged to Harry's mother, Princess Diana. It's beautiful. And he designed it. It's incredible. Obviously, not being able to meet his mom, it's so important to me to, to know that she's a part of this with us. And as far as the fifth in line's current thoughts on royal lineage... Children? Not, not currently, no. Um, no, of course, you know, I think, um, you know, one, one, one step at a time and hopefully we'll, we'll start a family. Yeah, just let them be married for a minute. They're Engage. so cute. Engage. They're so cute right now. Right. She looked so happy through the whole thing. How do you go on a blind date with a prince? Maybe maybe she wasn't told who it was. Like, where did There's they go? This guy, I know, he has red hair. There's this guy, he's got, he's got his own house. He's got a job, does he have a job? Yeah, he's kind of a job. It's a good job. Guess what I'm starting with? Brandon Brand Sutter.
I don't. I, mean, I have no idea nice. what this is, but I learned about it last it's week. It's the lens and shutter theme. It's from years ago. <laughs> right. It was anyway. an inside joke there. It's an inside. It but you know, it's, a Van- it's an old Vancouver bit. <laughs> many, many years ago. Anyway, it's not a great Brandon Sutter story, but anytime Brandon Sutter gets mentioned, that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Canucks actually sent him home today after he suffered some sort of injury against New Jersey last Friday. That means you might see maybe. Nikolai Godolbin getting the lineup tomorrow against the Islanders. 19 points in 18 games with Utica. As for Sutter, it's unknown how long he'll be out for. This is where it happened. If there is one good thing, Travis Green said today, it's more day-to-day than week-to-week. He doesn't score a lot, but he'll be missed. Sutter actually logs more minutes of ice time among Canuck forwards than anybody except for Bo Horvat. There he is scoring in an empty net against Pittsburgh. Well, the Whitecaps announced today which players' options were being picked up and which ones were not. Let's look at the ones that were not. Names you would know. Christian Bolanos, no. Matias Laba, Russell Tybert, Moro Rosales, and of course David Osted, which we already knew he was not going to be coming back. So in the last two years, the Calgary Stampeders have a combined regular season record of 28-6-2. That is incredible. What is more incredible? They have not won the Grey Cup in either of those two years. And the teams they lost to had terrible records, or mediocre records, if you like. Ottawa's record last year, 8-9-1, but they beat Calgary in overtime. Yesterday, Toronto won the Grey Cup against Calgary. Toronto was 9-9. The Stamps should have won both years. But essentially, the Stampeders were beaten by the Stampeders. They made mistakes, and they made silly calls like this one. You're in field goal range. Field goal range, you can send it to overtime and you decide to throw in the double coverage for the win. I do not understand the call. Wasn't a great pass, but still, as a call, that was way too gutsy at that point in the game. The uh, game the Seahawks had against Arizona on November 9th is the one that blew up the Legion of Boom with two huge injuries. Both Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor were lost for the year in that game. We knew Sherman was gone right away, but we didn't find out until today that Chancellor is also done for the year. He has a serious neck injury. Well, there was a time when everyone in Vancouver knew the name of Doug Hepburn. They could tell you about his feats of strength. He could lift anything, seemingly, and no matter how heavy it was, Doug could get it up over his head. There are people who would like him to be immortalized with a statue in this town. But for those of you who don't know about Doug Hepburn, let us show you who he was. I set a world record in Vancouver in the two-hands press. It was a lift of about 300, I think it was about 300 pounds at that time. I repeatedly did things that they felt were unbelievable. Long before there was color TV, Doug Hepburn was Canada's he-man. In his prime, Hepburn was the master of the weightlifting universe. In the 1950s, Doug's feats of superhuman strength defied his stout 5'8", 300-pound frame. Half a century ago, this Vancouverite stood tall as the world's strongest man. A lot of people consider him kind of the, the grandfather of modern powerlifting. He's still the first and only Canadian to win the world uh, weightlifting uh, championship in the heavyweight division. He, he set m- countless world records, um, first man to bench press 500 pounds. Um, at the, the, the 1954 British Empire and Commonwealth Games here in Vancouver, he set a three-lift games record of over a half ton. Um, he was known for the, the, the shoulder press. If, he always said if he could get a weight to his chest, didn't matter what weight it was, 
he could lift it up from there. There's two categories, I think, that uh, in sports, measuring them is, uh, is undeniable. And one is the fastest human being on the planet, and the other is the strongest human being on the planet. There's no, uh, well, maybe this guy's better at this part of it or that part of it, or there's nothing like that. He's just the strongest. And he didn't just break records, he annihilated them. Hepburn passed away 17 years ago at the age of 74, but his legend continues to grow with every story and memory created over his decades worth of weightlifting achievements. This from a man that was born with a club foot. He would entertain us by, you know, ripping decks of cards in half, license plates. Some of the things he did was, were ridiculous. He said there was an accident over on 12th one time and the car went over on its side, so he just picked it back up. <laughs> I don't know if that was true or not, but that's the kind of stories that were going around when I was a kid, you know. Soft as the rain that falls on summer flowers. The Lou Marsh Award winner hit all the right notes during his legendary career. Hepburn recorded songs and has records alongside the spots that he occupies in the BC, Canada and Canadian Olympic Halls of Fame. All that's missing is hopefully a statue outside of BC Place. People throw around the term, you know, Paul Bunyan-esque. This guy literally was our Paul Bunyan, you know, he, he, he was that strong. I want to take... Solid. It's incredible. I mean, just some of those feats of strength, the old I film know. footage, it's amazing. It's, the one where he has all the Canucks yeah. on the table and he lifts up yeah. all the Canuck players of the day. Yeah. Try that today. Whistler, Black Coma base close to 130 centimeters, Grouse about 110, Cypress about 130, and Sasquatch opens December 15th. Revelstoke and Manning Park both open December 2nd. Powder King, a base of 145 with 17 new centimeters. Mount Washington opens December 8th. In the southern interior, Big White, Silver Star, and Sun Peaks all enjoying 80 to 95 centimeter bases. Apex opens December 2nd. Coming up on ET Canada, now that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are engaged, we'll have all of our Meghan interviews, plus our encounter with the Prince here in Toronto. And we ride along with the Angels on their way to the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show in Shanghai. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, thanks very much, Paul. Fascinating look behind the scenes now with Squire Barnes going where not many people get a chance to go. Okay, so this is what I was told. Airports all around the world, they schedule all the flights a year in advance. Mm -hmm. But the day of, there always has to be changes because some are late, some are early. It's all about figuring out who goes to what gate, and it's not easy. Landing planes safely at YVR is a complex job done by air traffic controllers. But once these planes have landed, they have to be parked at various gates. And that is also a complex job. On this screen are the gates and the planes that will be using them. But as YVR's Kyle Galbraith explains, this situation is always fluid. You can end up having people leave late. You can have people arrive early. And that scheduling team is looking at almost a large piece of Jenga that each time you move something from the other side, you've got to compensate and balance in order to make sure that the operation continues to run smoothly. How many gates do you have to work with on a given day, usually? I think I have 77 gates, something like that. And are they usually always full? Yes. In the summertime, we have literally no flexibility so if someone goes off schedule we're getting creative and every move mm -hmm. Anne Marie and her colleagues make 
Airport One scheduling affects everything that keeps passengers moving in the right direction. This information shows up in the baggage halls so people know what piers they're using and what carousels are going on. It displays all the public FIDs in the airport. It's hooked up to our YVR website. It's crucial. Now, airlines do not have a say in what gate they get, but if they have preferences, the schedulers will try, if they can, to accommodate them. Typically, it is for the benefit of the passenger. United was always very practical. They want to be on the outside of the transporter horseshoe so they can get in and out of their gates very quickly. So if they lose time in the air, they can make it up on the ground. The challenge for this team is to take a very typical day that was planned out the year in advance, then you have a snow event, or then you have a power outage, or then you have a baggage system failure. That team is the front line to try to mitigate the impacts from all of those potential outcomes. Has there ever been a day where you don't have to touch it? Where everybody comes in on time and everybody leaves on time? There's never such a day. Never. Ever.